Hello and welcome to worship today here at Trinity. My name is Wade Giffen. I'm one of the pastors and I'm so glad you joined us for worship today. We're in our first series of the year called Wrestling with Doubt. The reality is all of us in the spiritual life, all of us on a faith journey run into these moments of doubt and they can either trip us up or we can work our way through them and grow in our faith. That's our hope. Uh, early this morning, about 7.30 to be exact, I got my very first text message from somebody in the congregation saying, I'll see you online today. And that was my first indication that we weren't exactly going to have a full house today. But uh, those of you robust folk who are in here, I am glad to see you. And the rest of you online, I should have a pop quiz for the people who said they were going to be online, shouldn't I? Uh, so good to be with you. If we have not met, if you're new here, my name is Wade. I'm pastor here at Trinity, and it's a joy to be with you. And um, being able to celebrate Sunday with you and to um, bring you the word today. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of John over in the 14th chapter. And uh, let me just set a little context for where this falls. John chapters 14 and 15, we get uh, to be able to see the last night that Jesus spent with his disciples. This was it. When this night was over, there was going to be the event in the garden. He was going to be betrayed, and that would lead all the way to the cross and, good news, ultimately to an empty grave. But imagine what it would be like to be in his presence on the very last night. There were so many things that, that we see in the Gospel of John that he was rehearsing again for folks to make sure they had it. And at one point in the night, there was... I would imagine some emotions among the room because people were figuring out that he was leaving. And, um, and when he sensed that, my, my feeling of this text is he sensed that, and when he did, this is what he said. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When I served Hyde Park Church in Cincinnati, we did a lot of funerals for folks in the community, people who did not have a relationship with Jesus, people who had no faith connection whatsoever. So the big Presbyterian church down the street and us, we were the largest two congregations, and we served our community by being willing to officiate those kind of funerals. And I had a pretty typical approach to those. Uh, when it would come to the homily, that's a fancy word for short sermon, right? I would, in that homily, I would proclaim the good news of Jesus, and I would proclaim God's goodness, 
and I would not make any declaratory statements about the whereabouts of the one in the box. You following me? And as you would imagine, I got a lot of questions over my time from the families regarding their loved one for whose service I just had. And on the top of many of their minds was this question about where their loved one was now that they had died. Now, some of those conversations really stand out in my memory. There's one of them. Do you ever have like a core memory that gets seared in your brain? There's one of them that is seared in my brain, and it was for a man who had no indication of a relationship with Jesus, had no indications of any kind of faith experience at all. And in his life, he was involved in some things that were horrendous in the community. And his life ended when he died by suicide. After we got to the cemetery and I had done the committal service, his niece came up to me and asked me a direct question. Is my uncle now in hell? Now, honestly, in that situation, I just didn't know how to answer her question immediately. I had compassion and care for her. I also had the same questions. You see, the family had not held back in giving me some of the gory details of this man's life of sin. And even in the interview with the family, when I dug deep to find just one story or one experience of his life that had any kind of redeeming value, they had none. Essentially, they summarized his life as him being a, as terrible of a human being as you could ever imagine. It was a short meeting. They were gone. And there I sat having to craft a homily for this man. So you can imagine I was hoping no one would ask any questions when the funeral was over, right? But the niece, who was probably in her early 20s, just talking with her, I could sense that she was a kind human, that she was a loving and caring human. She said that despite everything, she loved her uncle. And she said it was hard for her to imagine that he would burn in hell in eternity. And she said this, she said his life was hell enough. How do you answer a question like that? So I told her the truth. I said, I don't know. I don't know. And so I continued the conversation with her, and we talked about things like, we just don't know what might have transpired, transpired between him and Jesus at the moment of his death. We talked about the good news that it's not our burden to decide somebody's eternal fate and that we can't even really know. We talked about a God whose mercy and goodness, love and grace is far bigger than what our human minds could ever conceive. We talked about a God who has compassion for those whose lives seem to be lives of deep torment from the things that we may not even know, but God knows. 
We talked about hope in the midst of our uncertainty, and eventually we talked about how the uncertainty about her uncle, and in this situation, had opened her heart to a conversation about her life, how her life could be different, how her life and relationship with God could give her a different kind of assurance. So yes, right there in the middle of a cold cemetery, next to an open grave, a young woman asked me to lead her to faith. I will never forget that day. You see, in this one experience, it seemed there were all the things that raise a question for us as people of faith and often is a source of doubt that can lead in our own life journeys. For example, she had questions in her mind as to how a God that we proclaim to be a God that is merciful and full of grace, a God of love, who we believe loves all, could be okay with an eternal torment of hell. I mean, it was full of that kind of stuff. And so now 30-ish plus years since that event and her, her, and, and her initial question, I still have the same answer. I don't know. Why? Because I'm not God. I don't know like God knows. And the good news is that it is not my job. It is not your job to determine that. My job, and by the way, your job, is to do the work on the front end as ambassadors for Jesus and ambassadors for faith in Christ that there would not, have, there would not be the need for those questions to even be necessary. Is Jesus the only way? That's this week's question in our series that we're calling Wrestling with Doubt. If you missed last week, we explored the question, is the Bible true? It's available on sermon, our sermon archives on our website and also on our podcast if you want to catch up on that one. So what does the Christian church teach about this question of, is Jesus the only way? Have any of you ever wondered this question before? Any of you? I'm the only one? All right, I got a couple in the crowd, right? And I know all of you online raised your hand as well. Well, there are three primary schools of thought within the Christian family about this question. Uh, Last fall, Pastor Kim and I and Nicole were in Kansas City at a leadership summit. Pastor Adam Hamilton was speaking. He was talking about this work he was doing about wrestling with doubt. And Pastor Kim uh, elbowed me. She goes, that's our first series after the beginning of the year, isn't it? And I said, well, it is now, I guess, right? Uh, Little did I know what she was getting me into. But um, he, wrote a, he wrote a book, and in that book, he did a better job than I can of talking about these three schools of thought. So I'm just going to give all the credit to Adam for um, uh, some of the stuff that I share right now around these three thoughts. Uh, they are tongue twisters. You can't say all three of them fast in a line. They go, they're, they're, here, here are the three. Christian exclusivism, Christian universalism, and Christian inclusivism. I practiced all week (laughs) to say those out loud. Christian exclusivism, let's look at that one for a moment. That is the prevailing thought that unless someone personally accepts Christ, 
whether, unless somebody personally gives their life to Jesus, they are dead in their sins and alienated from God. This belief is that the atonement of Jesus is only effective if we accept it by faith. And there are some scriptures to support that way of thinking. Let me give you some examples. John 3.16, have you heard that one? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or what about the text that I read from that last night that Jesus was with his disciples and Thomas asked the question about how they would know the way to the place they were going. And you remember Jesus' response? I am the way, the truth and the life. And then he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. That seems pretty clear. One more, run over to the book of Acts. It was Peter who said this. He said, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. So this thought is that salvation is only found in Jesus and that it must be accepted by faith. It holds that anyone who has not personally accepted Christ will not go to heaven. And that includes folks who have never even heard the name of Jesus. That includes folks of other religions. And it may even include those who do not have the cognitive ability to understand Jesus. And that would include children. That's Christian exclusivism. Now, a second prevailing thought is Christian universalism. So if we've swung the pendulum here, now we're going to swing it all the way the other way. All right? Um, it claims, it still claims, that Christ is the only Savior of the world. And that God's intention is to save all people. And since God intends to save all people, God will ultimately save all people. There is room, though, for judgment in this thinking. And that is that there will be people who may be subject to judgment on judgment day. But ultimately and finally, they will be reconciled to God. And there are scriptures to support this one, too. When Paul wrote to the Roman church, we read this in his letter. It goes, Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. The word all, it's in there twice. And also we find in that same letter a little bit later this. He said, since all, how many? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, now they are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And I'll give you one more. Way over there in the end, in one of those tiny books, First Timothy, we see this. This is right and acceptable before God our Savior who desires everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God... There is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. 
So the bottom line belief is that God intends, God's intention is to save all people and that God will figure out how to get that done and will do it. Now, the Christian Universalist, by the way, not to be confused with a denomination called Unitarian Universalist, a Christian Universalist does not necessarily say that Jesus is one of many ways to salvation, but that he is the way to salvation, and that the gift of salvation he makes possible can be given by God to those who don't know him yet, and the Holy Spirit is able to work in the hearts and the minds of people until everyone finally knows this salvation and be reconciled to God, even if it happens at or after their death. That's Christian universalism. The third school of thought is called Christian inclusivism. Now, this is a thought that's held by a large number of mainline Protestant denominations and also the Roman Catholic Church, many evangelical churches. This is where they land. And if I've just given you two big swings of the pendulum, this one kind of just tick-tocks somewhere in the middle, right? It's just kind of a little bit of each. Like those other two, it also affirms that Christ is the only Savior of the world. Salvation is found nowhere else or in no one else. It affirms God's desire that we will all be saved and that Christ's redeeming work was for everybody. And guess what? There are scriptures to support that one, too. I've already read to you John um, chapter 14 and verse 6, we see it. Um, Over in Acts 4, uh, verse 12, uh, which we've already seen, all who ultimately enter heaven will do so because of the work and the grace of Jesus. And here's the thing. All will meet Christ at their death. All will meet Christ at the moment of judgment. And almost all will recognize him as Savior. So there's room in this thought that God shows mercy to children who were too young to understand the gospel and to those who have cognitive limitations and that God will judge those who have never heard the gospel and God will do God's thing with those of other religions according to God's own nature and will. Again, it's not our job. It embraces the idea of a just merciful, loving, and compassionate God who would not condemn to hell those who had no real ability to ever hear the gospel or understand the gospel or respond to the good news of Jesus to accept his saving grace. Uh, Pastor Adam, when we were there, said this, and I got it as close as I can get it. It goes like this. What if hell is a place for narcissists, the self-absorbed, the users and abusers, the cruel and the unjust, those who love darkness more than light, those who prefer self-love to selfless love, for those who, to the end, refuse God's grace. Jesus rightly described that place as the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this third school of thought, I would say, is probably the the predominant thought 
within the United Methodist Church and many other mainline churches. So that sets the foundation. There's a lot of different thoughts about that. So here's our question that still exists. Is Jesus the only way? Embedded in these three primary ways of thinking, the answer is consistent. The answer is yes. The interpretation of who gets included is a little different. We kind of have one that's a really very narrow group of folks. We have one that's really, really wide, and we have one that's working around somewhere here in the middle. So in the what do I do with this part of the message today, I think it raises a couple of questions. One of the obvious ones is if, if there is room for people of other religions or people who have no faith connection, people who do not Jesus know Jesus might receive the gift of eternal life, then why should Christians share their faith with others? Why should we do evangelism? Which, by the way, y'all, is not our strongest suit. We're going to get at that. I think that's a good question. The bad news is you're not off the hook for sharing the gospel to sharing the good news. We share our faith in Christ not only in the belief that God might eternally torment somebody who doesn't accept Jesus, but because we believe that God made a tectonic shift in history when Jesus came on the scene. God came to us in Jesus to show us God, to show us the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the clearest picture we have of the love and the nature of God and what God calls us to do and be. Part of why we tell others about Christ is rooted in this whole theological notion of where and when we get to experience heaven. Y'all, when we are followers of Jesus, we're already experiencing heaven right now. When we say yes to Jesus, we are already experiencing the kingdom of God. We don't got to wait around until after we die. We want that for others. We tell others because we experience what we pray in the Lord's Prayer when we say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. You see, it's pointing to the reality that there's room for a taste, a sample, an experience of heaven right here on earth. We don't have to wait. We tell others uh, because our own faith in Jesus has changed our own lives for the better. Because in him, we find love. We find grace. We find mercy ourselves. You see, this question of, is Jesus the only way, is often asked in the wrong way because it's obsessed with the afterlife, with eternity, that it's the only way. And many treat their faith in Jesus as a ticket to heaven when they die. But y'all, that's not all there is. There is that reality that we experience that in this life too. We find the purpose for which God saw fit to put us here. We find 
peace in the deepest longing of our hearts. In Jesus, we find direction for our life and life's decisions. In Jesus, we find the way to hope when we feel despair, to God's love and mercy of our life in, in, in our life and life's decisions. In Jesus, we find the way to hope when we feel despair. We find God's love and mercy when we fall. Not if we fall, but when we fall. We know that tragedy and suffering, evil and hate, sin and death do not get the final word. Because the final word in Jesus is hope and healing and goodness and love and grace and, yes, eternal life. We also share the good news because we have heard it and we have responded to it in our own lives. We have the assurance of that eternal presence in Christ's presence. We got some good news, y'all, and we can't keep it to ourselves. Do you know that there are a lot of folks who are on the outside of the church away from any faith journey of any kind, especially a journey through Jesus, who have landed at that place because of us. I said that. You heard what I said. There are people outside of the faith because of us. How? One is we do not share our faith well. We are not inviting folks to have the kind of experience we have in Jesus. Another reason is that many have been hurt in the church. They have been hurt by the church. Did you know that even in the church, there are some of the most hurtful people you will ever experience in life hurtful towards other people? Did you know that in the church, there are abusive people? Many have been hurt by the church, and they've been hurt so badly they just gave up. Many have seen and been subject to the hypocrisy of so-called Christians, where Christians proclaim something on the one hand, but they don't model that in the world in their own lives. And they just can't reconcile Christian behavior with the Jesus they find in the Bible. It's too incongruent. It's too large of a hurdle, and they just go away. Now, as we have been working here at Trinity to develop our purpose statement and our core values, part of what I just described was running in the background, that we pray that what those people experience will never be what is experienced at Trinity. That at Trinity, anyone who is seeking to know Jesus or even just give Jesus a little test drive will find us as a place where they are safe, that is welcoming, that is ready for their hard questions, that will include them in our community. A church, and I'll say this strongly, that has sound Christian theology based on the scriptures. Oh, not just one favorite scripture, but the scriptures, right? That's a lot of motivation for sharing your faith. Are you, did you get enough? It's a lot of motivation for evangelism. So what about ourselves, though? Should we do that thing where we give our life to Christ? 
Yes. Not as one item on a checklist for packing for heaven. Are you with me? Because it's not so much the act of doing it, but what that act does in and through us. You see, Jesus has already claimed us. Our job is to claim Jesus. And the way to, a way to do that is receive Christ. We accept his way. We acknowledge our sins. We seek his forgiveness. We accept his salvation. And we are assured of eternal salvation. So, should I? Yes. And with that gift, see, that's where a lot of people stop. And with that gift comes the responsibility to be Christ's ambassador in the world, inviting people to a vision of a world that God has. Is Jesus the only way? I believe he is. But I also will not put myself in God's place of making that decision about others. My job, your job, is to show the Jesus way to others. We probably ought to get that one right first. And because I believe that Jesus is the only way, I have committed my life to Christ. I have accepted Jesus as my Lord, as my Savior. I have committed 36 years of vocational life to Jesus. I am all in for Jesus. I am all in because I get to experience heaven on earth. I am all in because I get to be the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus in the earth to speak to resisting evil and the presence of injustice and oppression in whatever form they present themselves. I am all in because of the hope of salvation and being in the eternal presence of Jesus. I have staked everything on Jesus as the only way. And I want that so much for others too. And I want to lead a people called Trinity for, to that same kind of passion. Not just for themselves, but for the impact that God expects, that God needs Trinity to make in the world. I believe that Jesus is the way. I believe that in him I find my way into the kingdom of God right now and then that pesky thing of my death happens, it just continues. I believe that in my father's house there are rooms, a lot of rooms, and that Jesus already has one prepared for me. I believe in the testimony of the apostles. I believe in the testimony of those who have been in my life who have shared the good news with me. I believe in the testimony of those who have modeled for us what it means to care for the least of these. I'm thinking specifically about Martin Luther King Jr. who went to his death because he was doing that, who we will celebrate tomorrow in the holiday we have tomorrow. Uh, and believing this changes everything, everything about my life. It gives me hope. It gives me purpose. It gives me strength. It gives me peace. And I don't only believe it, but I am counting on it.
I am counting on it for my life and yours. So today I'm inviting you to trust your life to Christ, to ask him in. For some in mainline Protestant churches, it's kind of an unusual thing. It might be a first time of doing that or maybe a new way. But remember I said it's not, it is about what that act does to us. When I knelt at an altar and I gave my life to Christ, my life changed. The focus was different. It was now on Jesus and the Jesus way. I'm inviting you maybe to, to do that in a fresh new way. I'm inviting you to recognize that all we need is Jesus. We need his love. We need his grace. We need his mercy. And that we want to follow him. So I'm going to pray. As if I'm praying it for myself, I'm praying it for you as well. And if you're comfortable, if now is the moment to receive that invitation, I just ask that you would kind of whisper these words of prayer for you in your own life as well. One of the biggest challenges that I have with churches that primarily go here all the time is that often there's some sense of obligation or even manipulation as a part of it. This is a choice. We choose to give our life to Jesus. If that's a choice that you want to make today or you want to recommit to that today, I invite you to pray with me. So let's pray. Holy God, thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Oh God, thank you that you made the way for me possible in Jesus. And you sent him as the way. Jesus, I put my trust in you. I believe in you. Oh, help me in the times of my doubt and unbelief. I know that I sin and fall short. God, I'm asking that through Jesus, you forgive me. And God, would you see fit to extend your grace and mercy even to me. I accept you. I receive you, Jesus. Will you be my Lord to be my Savior? God, I accept you in such a way through Jesus that you would be the way for my life. And help me to so live my life here and now that I might have the peace and assurance that the eternity of the kingdom of God I can experience here on earth would be an eternity that goes forever with you. This is my prayer, that I pray in the strong and the powerful and the saving and the redeeming and the forgiving name of Jesus. Amen and amen. So thanks for joining us in worship today, and I hope there were some things in the service today to help you and encourage you in your own journey of faith. Maybe even raise some additional questions, and you know what? That's okay. We'll continue this journey next week. Look forward to seeing you then. Until then, God bless you, and have a great week.